the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 34 of Magic Markets in what has been a really difficult couple of days for all of us here in South Africa. And Mo, that's your old home. You may be sitting in Canada, but I know that a big part of your heart is still here. And I'm sure it's been difficult to watch what's going on here from Canada. In some ways, I've been really lucky in Cape Town, haven't been directly affected, also just watching on the news. So I guess the two of us have really just been watching what's going on in the news and some horror and uh, I made a couple of Lord of the Rings references to people in the last couple of days being the dork that I can be at times specifically around uh, people may remember the scene where all the tree ants are having a very long conversation about what to do and the hobbits are going slightly mad because they're doing nothing at all and and that's uh, that's what I was reminded of with government over the past day and a half and until they actually saw the destruction themselves it felt like not much was happening. But anyway, I come to you from Mordor. Mo, how's life up in beautiful Canada, Rivendell? You know, we'll kill the Lord of the Rings references there, but it, it's probably a bit nicer than it is down here. Ghost, enough with the Lord of the Ring references. I mean, yeah, I, I do feel a bit like the elves up in Rivendell because our, our fates are intertwined to, to, to everyone who's, who's down there. So it's kind of cold comfort sitting here where it's safe. But at the same time, I mean, I wake up every morning with updated news reports of, of what's happening from family, from friends. I mean, everyone who listens to this pod knows that I, I still have lots of interests, both personal and financial, down in South Africa. And so you literally almost feel a little more powerless the further away you are. I don't know if the, you know, the depths of despair that you experience when you see the kind of imagery coming out of South Africa right now is any different based on where you are sitting in the world. It's really something that is 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 very disturbing i mean not not to not to paraphrase our president and and say that i'm i'm shocked and disturbed but the fact of the matter is that you know one cannot say that you're shocked one cannot say that it's yes it's disturbing but for me a lot of what we're seeing in south africa is really just a culmination of decades and decades of nascent issues that have been building and bubbling beneath the surface and that's what we do here on magic markets let's scratch beneath the surface let's unpack that uh, and let's 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 say what it really means for south africans and again for investors around the world yeah exactly and the idea on the show tonight is definitely not to have a political discussion because we don't do that on magic markets we're going to rather talk about from an economic investment deal making perspective what does stuff like this mean for south africa for its prospects for its economic health for a recovery going forward out of COVID, which has been, you know, the most terrible economic event of our lifetimes. And as is so often the case, it takes some kind of, of, of catalyst for something to erupt. And in this case, it's been COVID, it's been economic hardship. Yes, you know, Zuma going to jail may have sparked this thing, but we all know that a very large proportion of those involved actually give rocks about Jacob Zuma. And most of them are 
desperate and opportunistic and, and, and looting accordingly. And unfortunately, when you've come off 18 months of lockdown and people are not allowed to work and everything else that goes with it, these are the joys of, uh, of our country at the moment, unfortunately. But Mo, what I'd like to ask you is, I mean, you are sitting there in Canada. I would love to know to what extent the global media have started to pick up on this. And we're recording this on a Tuesday night, so it's important to give people that context. The situation may change in the next day or two. But what have you seen or heard internationally? Are people talking about this yet or not really? So it tends to come through a lot slower Remember, South Africa is not high on everyone's agenda. You know, in a world where life's going back to normal, you know, we're defeating a pandemic, there's Wimbledon, there's the Euro Cup, you know, there's, there's all of this stuff happening and the world's not an unhappy place, you know, which is why I sit here and I look at this this massive divergence because, you know, I, I was looking outside of my window, I'm, I'm looking at some of my neighbors and I said to my wife, I said, they wake up to these blissful lives where they're not inundated with, with bad news and tough imagery coming uh, at you from South Africa, from your home country. Uh, you wake up and, and life here in the rest of the world is kind of improving. Things are actually looking up. Things are not that bad. So you definitely see that. I think, you know, early stages, we did not see much happening in the news reports. Uh, and the same applies to the COVID pandemic down there. I mean, I had, I had tweeted out about how bad COVID is down in South Africa, how the Delta variant is, is really wreaking a lot of havoc. And that did not until very recently make international headlines. So that's a product of two things. It's a product of the fact that South Africa is not high in anyone's agenda. But I must say the recent turmoil in South Africa definitely got to the mainstream news cycle a lot faster. And um, maybe it's seen with a pinch of salt. Again, remember, like I say, South Africa is not all that relevant in everyone's frame of mind and context up here. Uh, it's very hard for them to contextualize what a failing and a collapsing South African state may mean for someone here in North America, for example. It's actually good news in some ways, because in this case, publicity is bad publicity. I mean, I was surprised our 10-year bond yield only went up a little bit over the last couple of days. It didn't exactly blow out, you know, and that's something that I was watching. The RAND as well, it kind of got a bit worse, but it didn't exactly blow up either, despite what's going on on the ground. So the market was almost a little bit slow to react. I mean, the Aussie was up, I think it's net up over the past couple of days, but a big part of that is a little bit of RAND weakness and a lot of offshore earnings on the JSE. So if anyone was wondering how on earth the local market can be up when the country is on fire, it's because a lot of the companies on the JSE are ultimately invested offshore. I mean, Nusbass Processes, Exhibit A, all of that value is sitting in Tencent, which is very far away from where we currently are. The goodness knows Chinese tech has all of its own problems like we spoke about last week. And, uh, you know, Ma, I think what's more important is to understand what it does to the real economy and how people think about investing in fixed assets and opening a warehouse or opening a factory or creating jobs. I mean, that's the biggest problem here, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, I want to I throw back a little bit, Ghost. I mean, when I was still down working at an investment bank in South Africa many, many moons ago, uh, there were those horrible xenophobic attacks which South Africans tend to remember and forget and remember and forget. But around that time, we were fielding calls from international investors in London and New York saying, are you guys okay? You know, we've seen imagery on international media of people being, you know, necklaced, burnt alive. I mean, that's really vivid imagery. And I remember the response back then was, was I mean, I was walking around Santon at the time. And the response is, yeah, we're fine. You know, 
everything's kind of running okay, capital markets, financial markets running okay. For me, what's different this time around is how widespread the damage appears to be. Uh, the other thing I'd like to almost highlight, and it will tie into your question, because I think that's where we need to go, is that South Africans tend to have fairly short memories. Uh, the same applies, remember, when you're looking at investments, you, you've got to break this down into the hot money, the portfolio flows that can kind of come in and out. That's buying your government bonds. It's buying your equities. But remember, that's a push of a button. You can liquidate a position and you can get your money out. Uh, similarly, even if you hold those assets, if you don't like what's happening in the very short term, you can kind of hedge yourself using the FX, using the currency. We've spoken about some of those dynamics on the show before. When you're looking at real, on-the-ground, direct investment, the kind of investment that builds an economy, that builds economic capacity, that's the one that's slow-moving. That's the one that's a lot more sensitive to longer-term cycles. So let's break that down. When I say South Africans have short memories, so do investors in the hot money sector of the markets. And they tend to look at these ups and downs. And yes, South Africa has been in tough positions before, then it improves. And when it improves, everyone's, you know, rah, rah. Think of the narrative on this very show. I think we spoke about it as well just two months ago, where the RAND was stronger, South Africa's running these large current account surpluses. Everyone is positive. And if you're out there and you're the gloomy, you're the gloomy guy on the bench and you're saying, guys, look at the longer term trends, which I sometimes tend to do, people don't like you. Saying, oh, you, you know, you're spoiling on the party. You can't see, you're, you're this Afro-pessimist. I'm saying, no, I'm, I'm a realist. I like to dissect this into what's the shorter term cycles doing? What's it telling us? And you ride those tactically. That's great. But what's the longer term cycles? And those, unfortunately, have been disturbing for quite some time. Around three years ago, very well-respected um, political uh, analyst in South Africa uh, was having a chat to me and basically looked at a whole bunch of social and societal metrics. Uh, and he had said to me, this is irreversible. We might change the pace and the slope of deterioration, but with unemployment as high as, as it is now, with you know the erosion of institutions, it's irreversible. Uh, I remember, in fact, almost 10 years ago, uh, there was Moletsi Mbeki, who uh, the, the former president, Tabu Mbeki's brother, who was a political analyst, uh, did some work for us at the bank I was at at the time. And he had said that by 2020, South Africa will have its Arab Spring moment. This was around the time of the Arab Spring in around 2012. And I remember back then thinking, this is, this is hyperbole. You know, it's, it's out there. Yes, we have our pressures. But unfortunately, when you look at that longer term cycle, it has been a deteriorating trend for a long period of time. And that's what informs long-term investment cycles, foreign direct investment, and forget foreign direct investment. It informs the investment cycle of the holders of capital with capital that's already in South Africa. Yeah, exactly right. And most fixed assets have a long-term period that needs to be applied to them. I mean, you know my views on property on a good day. The buy toilet just uh, got more even, or even more toilety as a result of this because I just think that people are going to be even less keen to spend money on property. I was reading Tongat's results earlier and a big part of their uh, debt restructuring is that they need to sell off enormous tracts of land, wait for it, in Natal in order to pay off the banks, which is you know, not exactly prime real estate right now. But again, something I learned in corporate finance, people always said to me, nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems. And there's some truth in that. And I think a lot of the short-term cycles reflect that. But to your point, 
the trend is something that is really important to look at. And you can see it in numbers like unemployment. You can clearly see it in the way the country was mobilized over the past 48 hours, you know, in this kind of get rich quick, or it's the wrong word, but just get what you can get your hands on. <laughs> it's like Reggie's Rush for Adults. I think I saw that tweet today and it was, it was as horrible as it was funny. But South Africans have a good sense of humor and we try to laugh about things that are obviously definitely not funny. I mean, MassMod was the one that really stuck out for me today, watching those aerial images of the game warehouse in Durban, literally surrounded. It looks like a swarm of locusts, basically taking everything they can get and destroying it in their path. And uh, you sit, you wonder what's going through the mind of Walmart executives sitting in the US. They've put money into this thing. They've parachuted in a new executive. Do they keep supporting it? At some point, do they laugh it off? Do they analyze the returns and say, wow, this is just way too much hard work for what we're actually getting out of this place? Who knows? MassMart employs 45,000 people. 45,000 people are not about to lose their jobs. Even if Walmart decided to exit, they would sell off the good assets like Macro and Builders Warehouse. They're not going to go to zero. You know, some of it might. But the reality is that we have this growing population, we have a shrinking number of jobs, we have growing unemployment, and it just creates this ongoing issue at the worst imaginable time. Because coming out of COVID, what we desperately needed was private investment. Everyone was very excited about the announcement that companies can now do their own power projects. You know, ESCOM's problems feel like last year's news. It's just so sad to see how sentiment was starting to get better, and now it's gone sour in a big way. And there will be some panic behavior. There will be people who just say, that's it, I'm packing for Perth. And off they go and they'll sell everything and out they will go. That's always the case. And there will be those who view this as an opportunity to make cheeky offers on their houses and pick up more property and buy their businesses. That is the nature of the markets. That is the nature of capitalism. But unfortunately, the trend is what it is. And let's not forget South Africa is a junk status country. How do we get out of junk status? Well, we don't do it by burning two provinces down. Clearly, that doesn't work. My, my my main my main concern is I mean obviously there's loss of life there's this entire lack of social cohesion I mean I should actually go I, I wrote a piece I remember it was back in in 2014 around structural reforms in South Africa what South Africa needs to do to to get stuff right and one of the key components of that is it's 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 a soft it sounds like a soft and fluffy but it's not social cohesion is so important because. South Africa, from time to time, really appears to be a country that is at war with itself. Uh, any wound that is inflicted on South Africa, whether that is looting a warehouse or whether that is any act of violence against any particular South African, regardless of, of race or creed or religion, that is an injury on oneself because as South Africans, you're all in it together. We're all in it together. You know, I say that I'm sitting here in Canada. I'm still South African, you know, at heart, in mind, in spirit. And so we're all in it together. And so when I see that, it's it's very disturbing for me because being at war with yourself, you can only solve that through greater social cohesion. And that comes with time and comes with solid leadership and just the right kind of narrative. And these things have not been happening in South Africa for the better part of a decade. You know, I, I, I think it's too simplistic to blame it on a particular administration. I think it's too simplistic to say, you know, this is caused by a particular individual. Uh, I do think that it's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, but it, it goes to your whole 
theory of, 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 of Minsky's instability. And for those that aren't familiar with it, it's a very common kind of thinking in terms of financial markets is the longer you have stability, the greater the disconnect comes in terms of when the instability comes about. Uh, it's akin to you continue piling a single grain of sand onto a heap and eventually the entire heap collapses. So South Africa has long been highlighted as a country where it almost defies logic with unemployment as high as it is, you know, 40% on official unemployment, youth unemployment at 60% and above. Those are unsustainable, untenable social dynamics uh, that have been building for a long time. They are the product of failures, not just by government, but, you know, in some instances, civil society, in some instances, the private sector. There's enough blame to go around and this is not a blame game. What I do want to highlight, though, is that emerging markets go through this, uh, going, focusing on, we, we know the long-term trend is negative. And that's where you get into the discussions around structural reforms. And there are lots of academic papers and lots of ink has been spilt on that. On the shorter term, these things are cyclical. Turkey, a little while ago, had an attempted coup. Uh, I had friends who were in Istanbul when that happened, and, you know, there were fighter jets going overhead and, and, and explosions, and it's very traumatic. And what happened is that they had a whole bunch of expats leave the country, they had some investment leave, and then eventually that short-term cycle eases off, reverses, people forget, and they go back in again. So I believe on the short-term, on the tactical, cyclical basis, that hopeful this too shall pass. Uh, whether that is just another opportunity to reinstate the whole frog in the pot syndrome versus a true soul searching and reflection amongst every single South African, but most specifically amongst leadership in terms of what do we really, really need to do to get this country back on track? No, let's flip it on its head because I think everyone listening to this is aiming to provide for their families. I mean, that's our driving force for all of us is how do I create a better life for the people in my household and then how do I create a better life for society once the people in my household are looked after. I think everyone thinks that way. There's no point in pretending differently. So the beauty of the markets and also its cruelty and in some ways its inhumanity is that money doesn't care. Money doesn't care about social problems. Money doesn't care about why these things are happening. Money just cares about what the result looks like and the maths. And in some ways that's terrible and in some ways it's beautiful because it's simple. So reality is when you are trading, you can make money out of these things. I mean, there were people who were short retailers today who made money. There were people who have been long, you know, other, other areas of the market that have made money, or there's not too many of those in the, in the last while. Like obviously the RAN hedges and that kind of thing. And it all comes down to how you position yourself. And at the end of the day, you've got two ways to make money as a person. You can either make money from an actual day-to-day -day income. And there you need to assess what your earning potential is in South Africa versus elsewhere in the world. And I've written about this. My most read article ever on my blog, thefinancegoes.com, was about immigrating. But it all comes down to, obviously, crime is the first test. If you feel safe, you can stay. If you don't feel safe, you must go. Simple. Like, do not even keep reading. That's, that's it. Simple as that. That's part of why I moved to Cape Town, which thankfully has been spared these horrors. So that's kind of worked out so far, but definitely touch wood on that front. And uh, after that, it comes down to proximity to family, which is a tough choice. You know better than anyone right now how hard that is. And uh, it comes down to earning potential. And that's the, that's the assessment that South Africans need to make is how much can you earn in South Africa versus the rest of the world? And then do smart things with that money. You know, invest it, create. You always talk about optionality when we when we talk outside of magic markets. You know, your advice to me is always create optionality in your life, which is fantastic advice because it's true. 
Money gives you options. Flexibility in your life gives you options. Flexibility in your asset base gives you options. And once you have those options, then you can be more mobile. And to your point, emerging markets go through cycles. And if something goes horrifically wrong, you know, to the point that it looks as though we're going the route of a, a Zimbabwe or a Venezuela, then then that's a that becomes a tough decision. If something just looks bad, but it's not the end of the world, then you sleep better at night knowing you have options. Uh, and that's that's probably the right way to play it for all of us sitting in South Africa at the moment. Eh? Yeah, so, you know, optionality, it's, it's so important to understand because, like you say, money gives you options. But there, there are different kinds of optionality. I mean, education gives you options. Uh, part of what you see in South Africa is that there's a very large cohort of society in South Africa that does not have optionality. Uh, when you are on the, the brink of starvation, uh, you don't have optionality. And I'm not saying that's behind all of the looting that's that's occurring. Yes, there's certainly opportunity or opportunism rather that's that's taking place down there and rampant criminality. So there's a combination. I don't want to muddy the, the issues. Going back to optionality, though, at the end of the day, is that optionality is important because you know you, when you have optionality, you're not forced to make knee-jerk reactions. Uh, it's part of the reason why I would always say to investors who would come on roadshows to South Africa, and I was hosting guys from, you know, your, your Nordic sovereign funds and, and the Middle East and, and Asia, and I, I would always struggle to understand why they had a slightly sunnier disposition on South Africa than I would have anticipated. And eventually, I came to realize that it's very different just investing in a place like South Africa versus living in a place like South Africa. If you're just investing in a place like South Africa, whether that is a billion dollar factory or whether that's a billion dollars worth of South African government bonds or equities, it doesn't actually matter at the end of the day because let's be frank, it's just money. It's not an existential threat. As soon as you are living in South Africa and if that or any emerging market, if there's an existential threat, whether that's crime or civil unrest or war, that changes your decision matrix quite fundamentally. So for me, that is also an important part of my own personal journey is that by being outside of South Africa, uh, I took away some of the perceived or real existential threat from my decision matrix. I could look at things more objectively. I could look at things slightly more uh, coldly, like you say, from, from a more objective perspective to say, what does this mean? I, I was speaking to investors just like a, a, a couple of months ago around whether the COVID pandemic and the kind of economic damage that South Africa had seen over that time period was the right time to invest in South Africa, both directly as well as portfolio investment. And so you will find investors who have that kind of risk appetite. Emerging markets, like for example, if you looked at Argentina, Argentina has declared bankruptcy as a sovereign state so many times that you, you forget about it, right? Investors are still investing in Argentina. It's just they start to price in their risks a little differently. And potentially it's why, if I go back to one of your earlier comments on this podcast, is that you didn't see this knee-jerk reaction in the RAND, and you didn't see this knee-jerk reaction in the government bonds yet. And that could be a product of two things. It could be that the market might be patient saying, mm, we don't want to react on the drop of a dime and sell out right now. Or it could be that this is within the kind of risks we've calibrated for and that we know what we're buying when we buy South Africa. So this was part of that risk matrix. I'm not sure yet. It really does depend on how quickly things can stabilize down there. And again, in the interests of just humanity and life and sustainability of the the social and societal 
well-being of South Africans. That's that's really what's important at the end of the day because if that fails and breaks now, it means that South Africa breaks for a longer period of time. In order to repair confidence, specifically from if we think of it from a business perspective, for fixed investment or to replace the warehouses that have been looted, whether that is the infrastructure or the inventory or the logistical capacity that has been destroyed by the burning of trucks. These are things that within two to three days you destroy, but that takes you 10 years to build or rebuild if you ever get there. And that is why I think you're at this watershed now and I don't know whether this is broken for good or if this actually is just another one of those cyclical returns to something that maybe looks a little bit more normal in time. And the comparison to South America is great because we've got the same weather. Uh, we've got uh, similar similar economic uh, ups and downs. Uh, we have similar gang cultures sometimes. We just don't play soccer anything like they do, unfortunately. That is our one great uh, one great challenge. But, you know, Mo, I'd like to close off by just telling a story about... Uh, I was in Mozambique on holiday many years ago as a student and I'll never forget there was a market there and there was a Rastafarian chap selling this craft and he'd taken a whole lot of driftwood and he'd painted it in these Rasta colors and he had written on there, money is Everton, it gives you option. And I remember seeing it and I just loved it. And I was a student so I, and I couldn't afford it, which was incredibly ironic. And I really regret that because I'd love to own that piece of driftwood. Uh, and, you know, I didn't have the option to buy it. But if you look at, if you look at life and everything else, I, mean, I, I take a very maybe a very hard-nosed view on this, but money is, in many ways, everything. Obviously not health, et cetera, et cetera, but it does give you options. And that option ranges from someone who's sitting with the ability to move family overseas when something goes wrong, all the way down to people who are willing to risk their lives to go and steal nappies. Because as tough as it was to watch today, goodness knows there is an enormous humanitarian crisis sitting behind it. And whilst a percentage of those people are absolutely criminals, truly, guys stealing big TVs and everything else, they're not doing that because they're starving. But there were people stealing nappies and there were people stealing maize meal and there were people stealing baby formula. And it doesn't matter how you feel about the world, you have to look at that with some compassion in your heart. And that's what makes this so so difficult and just two shows ago we had tracy davies from just share talking about esg and this is this is when esg comes into play you know that s that whole social fabric in which a company operates if you operate in an unsustainable society you're an unsustainable business that is honestly the biggest message of it all and things will the thing the fires will stop burning people will rebuild bits and pieces other pieces won't people will forget about this over the next couple of years maybe maybe not who knows the point is, it's only going to get worse every time it happens. We had Marikana a few years ago. We've had xenophobia. Now we've had this. I don't know what happens next time. I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know whether I'll be willing to own any fixed assets when it does. But uh, unfortunately, there are very real issues that need to get sorted out in South Africa. And I just hope that uh, they can be. And I know you feel the same, even though you're in Canada. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my, my closing comment is that we can't, none of us, myself included, None of us can afford to see South Africa fail. It's not in anyone's interest to see South Africa fail. Um, on that basis, I certainly laud and applaud the, the multitude of civil society bodies that are out there doing fantastic work, whether that is charity work, whether that is just support work. And I, I would go out on a limb and say that pretty much most of the people who are listening to Magic Markets are individuals of, of means. They're individuals who are perhaps in a position where they're not going to ever have to go and, you know, find that baby formula at the store. And I say find that baby formula at a store. 
because they might not get it. Uh, unfortunately, when looting occurs, it's a race to the bottom because the insecurity that comes about is that if I don't go and secure that baby formula, for example, for my child now, you know, I'm not going to get it. It becomes, it goes back to the point of existential threat. I'm not justifying it in the least. What I am saying is that it's a lot more complex and nuanced than people believe it to be and that the solutions are also longer term, longer ranging solutions, but they're solutions that I think you do not get right without solid support from civil society in South Africa. South Africa needs to do some navel gazing, some introspection, and rethink the roles of different societal partners. I want, I want to end on the point of social cohesion. South Africa can no longer afford to be a country that is at war with itself. You cannot hate yourself. You cannot hate your brother. The whole analogy of cutting your nose to spite your face, that's what's going to end up happening if we continue to see people as the other. And I want to, I want to go out there on an appeal to say, you know, guys, stay safe down there. I, I wake up every day with this pit in my stomach because family, friends, pretty much everything I grew up with is down there in South Africa. And it's, it's as terrifying for me as it is for, for, for many of you. Um, my heart goes out to you and I wish you all of the strength and let's, let's hope that this is the opportunity to start rebuilding a South Africa that we can be proud of in the longer term. Yep, absolutely. Mo, couldn't agree more. So Magic Markers listeners, stay safe out there. Let's hope this all comes right. And uh, just in case it doesn't, keep listening, keep trading, keep working, keep doing what you do to give yourself and your family that optionality that so many sadly will never have. And that's all that any of us can really do. Mo, thank you. Tough week. And uh, goodness knows, I hope we can chat next week about something other than South Africa burning down. Uh, you stay safe in Canada. I don't want you eaten by any bears or wild moose or whatever the other risks are of Canada. Are there any risks in Canada? Is there anything there that can kill you before you go? The risk of too much politeness, perhaps. <laughs> and bad winters. <laughs> <laughs> bad winters. Well, there's no snow there currently, so I back you to be back here next week. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.